So Merry Christmas. God is good. All right, a group of young kids were asked, how do you decide who to marry? And here are the answers. Here are the results. How do you decide who to marry? Blake, age 10, says this. You got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like that, like it that you like sports. And she should keep the chips and dips coming. <laughs> I think that's good advice. It's, it's just, he's, he's got a lot of wisdom for a 10-year-old. Okay, Kristen, age 10, says this. No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> what is the right age to get married? Camille, age 10, says, 23 is the best age because you know, you've known the person by forever, or for forever by then. <laughs> How can you tell a stranger... Or how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Eric, age nine, says this. You might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> what do most people do on a date? Olivia, age eight, says this. Dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> okay, I like this one. When is it okay to kiss someone? Emma, age seven, says, when they're rich. <laughs> uh, how, how would you make a marriage work? Austin, age 10, says, oh, and this is the last one. How would you make a marriage work? Austin says, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a dump truck. <laughs> All right, <laughs> go to John chapter 15. We're going to start in John chapter 15 this morning. And if you're reading in a digital version, I'm, I'm going to be in the NASB, NASBA, NASB. John chapter 15, when you're there, say, I'm there. So close. That wasn't one of the options, but 95 always. John chapter 15. Okay, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Father, I just pray that you just would speak to each heart this morning. I pray for your anointing on this message. I pray that you edit it as necessary. And we just pray that each heart would be open. In fact, just put your hand on your heart this morning. And just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me this morning. Yeah, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine. And in the book of Exodus, I like this, Exodus, uh, in the time of Moses, that happened about 13 or 1,400 years before the time of Jesus. And I love the story where God shows up to Moses, and he shows up in this burning bush, 
and he speaks to Moses through this bush, and he tells him he wants to, you know, tells, shares his plan of what he wants to do with the Israelites and take them out of Egypt. And uh, Moses says, who should, who should I uh, tell them that, you know, what should I tell them your name is if they ask, like, you know, who sent you? He says, tell them that I am sent you. Now, I am is like, it's kind of like a fragmented sentence. If I said, I am, and I just stopped there, you'd say, you are what? You're hungry, you're, you're, you're tired, you're, you're what? I am. And I, I love that God, he's okay with us, like, having mystery about him. And he just says, just tell them, I am sent you. So how many know that Jesus is actually the revelation of the I am? So Jesus, when he came to earth, he said, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the revelation of the Father, and he completed the fragmented sentence of I am. He came to reveal what God meant by that. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the door. And I love this passage. This is a Hebrews 1.3 in the Amplified Classic. It says, he, meaning Jesus, is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being the outrain or radiance of the divine. And he is the perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. Some translations say Jesus is the exact representation. I love this translation. I'd never seen that before. It says he's the perfect imprint of God. He's the very image of God's nature expressed. So Jesus is the perfect expression of the Father, how many know that we don't have a complete picture of who God is without Jesus? He is the revelation of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to reveal who the Father is and what he is like. So he is the perfect expression of the Father. So Jesus is the revealing of the I am. And here in John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. Jesus is the vine. You know, we just talked about it in our tithing declarations, but he is the source of everything. He's the source of life. He's the source of joy. He's the source of peace. He is the vine. He's our source. And he says, I am the true vine. So if, he's, if there's a true vine, he, there must be a false vine. And so what are the false vines? Well, anything that promises to give you those things that Jesus gives you outside of him. Peace, joy, resource, life. He is the source. He says, I am the true vine. So verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear fruit more fruit. Now there's a 80s commentary that, or 80s, not, not 80s, 1800s commentary <laughs> that says this. So when it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And there's a commentary I read in the 1800s, and it was a, a well-known scholar in that day. And he said, takes away means that God takes them to heaven. Oh man, that's kind of scary. So every branch in me, now that's key. 
says, every branch in me, in the vine, that means saved. Everyone who is in Christ, that phrase in me is in Christ. It means saved. So if he's right, it's saying, he's saying, hey, that takes away. That means if you're not bearing fruit, God will take you to heaven. That's, well, that's kind of scary. <laughs> Man, I better make sure I'm bearing enough fruit or God might just snatch me out. So here, the Greek word for takes away is iro, A-I-R-O, iro. And iro actually means this. It means to raise up, to elevate, or to lift up. To raise up, to elevate, or to lift up. Here's some other places where the Greek word iro appears. Matthew 4, 6. He will give his angels orders concerning you, and on their hands they will iro, lift you up. Matthew 9, 6. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralyzed man, get up, Iro, pick up your mat, and go home. Matthew 21, 21. And Jesus answered them and said, even if you say to this mountain, be Iro, taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. Mark 16, 18. They will, Iro, pick up serpents, and they will drink any deadly poison, and it will not harm them. So I want to share just a, a story with you. We have this crawling vine plant in our backyard, and it's just outside of our kitchen window. I've talked about it a couple times. God's really speaking to me through this, this crawling vine plant. And, you know, there's some interesting things about it, but the healthiest vines are, I have this crawling vine, and there's this lattice out there, and the healthiest vines are the, one that have, the ones that have attached to the lattice, and they've grown upwards with the other vines. And most of the healthy vines are actually intertwined with one another. And they're growing up together towards the sun. But there are some vines that they're offshoots and they actually fall to the ground. And, or they're crawling up and a part of them falls. And those branches actually come in and I'm lifting them back up. And I'm putting them back in with the other branches. So the nature of a vine is that actually wants to connect to something. It actually wants to connect with other vines and it wants to connect with a tree. So when a vine falls, uh, or I'm sorry, when a vine fails to attach to the lattice, it will fall to the ground. So this is actually true with vine growers. A few years ago, I did a study with, about vine growers, specifically uh, vine growers who are growing grapes to make wine with. So this is actually true with vine growers, is they let the vines grow on a lattice. And I actually sent a couple pictures of the lattice. I don't know if you have them. But they actually let uh, these vines grow on this lattice. Now, this lattice is actually, it looks like a cross. Like a modern lattice, it's like usually metal. But lattices in, uh, I'm sorry, not lattice. I'm saying the wrong word. Trellis. Trellis. So a modern tr trellis is metal, but... A trellis in Jesus' day certainly would have been like a cross, like it would have been like a, a wooden cross. And so a modern practice is these vines growing up this, these trellises, if they fall to the ground, they cannot bear fruit. So the vine dresser will come and he'll pick up the ones that have fallen to the ground and he'll weave them back in with the other ones and he'll weave them around the trellis. Because if they fall down to the ground, they can't bear fruit. So Jesus says... Every branch in me, 
that does not bear fruit, he, Iro, raises up. This is actually what the Greek meaning of that word means. It means raises up, and it also makes sense with how they actually, uh, the nature of the vine dressers and how they actually um, take care of these, these plants. So John chapter 15, verse 2 in the Passion, it says, says this, He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. So actually the Passion is the only translation that actually gets this one right. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting up and propping up the fruitless branches and by pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. So I want to tell you this morning, this really encouraged me this week. When you're in a season of fruitlessness, this is when Jesus lifts you up so that you can bear fruit once again. It's not takes away. It's lifts up. When you're in a season where you don't feel fruitless, you're in a season where things are hard, Jesus is looking to lift you up in those seasons. He's looking to come and pick you back up, connect you once again to the trellis, connect you once again to the other vines. Again, the healthiest vines, this, this so spoke to me, the healthiest vines in my plant are the ones that have interweaved with one another and they've grown straight up towards the sun. And Jesus, in your seasons of laying on the ground, not bearing fruit, his desire is to come and to lift you up. Isn't this what we see with Jesus? The woman caught in the act of adultery, man, clearly in a bad season in her, in her life, well, that's, this person's not bearing fruit. Time to cut them off. No, we see Jesus come, and he raises her up. He doesn't condemn her, but he actually drives away the condemners. He says, woman, where are your condemners? Has no one condemned you? In one translation, she says, Lord, you've driven them all away. He doesn't come to condemn. He comes to raise her up. And he empowers her. And we don't know what happened to her after that, but I, I guarantee you that her life began to bear fruit again because Jesus just lifted her up. We see this with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. She had five husbands and currently living with a man who wasn't her husband. That branch not bearing fruit, cut that one off. No, we see Jesus lift her up. She gets so excited, she becomes one of the first evangelists. She runs back to her town and tells everybody about Jesus. She was lifted up in her spirit. She was lifted up. When Jesus reacted with her, when he encountered her, she was lifted up. What about Zacchaeus, tax collector? He comes to see Jesus, clearly not bearing good fruit. Tax collectors were enemies of the Jews. They were working for the bad guys, the Romans. Not only that, usually they were dishonestly collecting more than they should have to line their own pockets. Oh, that, that branch is not bearing any good fruit. Let's hack that one off. No, Jesus encounters him. He goes and dines with him, and Zacchaeus repents he never tells them to repent, by the way. He never confronts them of his sin, even. But he goes and dines with them. 
and he lifts him up. We see this man turn and repent, and he's lifted up by Jesus. What about the man at the pool of Bethesda, 38 years lame? By the way, he says to the man at the pool of Bethesda, he says, I row your bed. Pick up your bed. He lifts him up. He could have looked at him and said, well, this one's not bearing fruit. 38 years complaining, making excuses. I can't get in the water. Let's hack this one off. Not bearing any fruit. No, Jesus comes and he looks to raise him up. He raises him up. He heals him. Peter denies Christ three times. Jesus didn't say to Peter after he resurrected, Peter, you really blew it. Just got a, you turned into a bad branch. Let's just hack off this bad branch. No, after Jesus is resurrected, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Remember, he denied him three times. And he says, do you love me? Three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He was restoring him. He was raising him up. Peter, there's, when Jesus resurrected, he said, go get the disciples and Peter. A lot of people think he said that because Peter was so ashamed of himself, he didn't consider himself a disciple anymore. He's like, I want to make sure, go get all the disciples and Peter, who doesn't feel like he's a disciple right now. Peter raises him up. Peter's mother-in-law, she's sick. Jesus touches her and she raises up. This is the nature of God. And it's expressed perfectly through Jesus Christ to raise us up. Now he raises us up so that we can bear fruit again. And we can intertwine together and grow up towards the sun. The vines are interdependent with one another. They hold each other up. Often we see people get hurt and they, they fall away. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like lose their salvation, but they just like, they all of a sudden, they don't want to connect to the church anymore. They leave the church and they're laying on the ground. They're not connected with the other vines anymore. And with those people... Jesus' desire is to come and to raise them up again and to put them back in, to wrap them around. It's interesting. The, the old pictures of the vines, they're wrapped around this cross. It's like this wooden trellis wrapped around the cross, and they're interconnected with one another. What a beautiful picture. Amen. Let's take a laugh break. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> So John 15, 2, in the Passion, he cares for the branches connected to me by, by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and by pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. Now, the word pruning there is a Greek word, and it means, uh, the Greek word is kathairo. So you have iro, which means to raise up, and you have kathairo, which means to cleanse or to clean. So the Greek word kathairo is used only one other time in Scripture, and it's in Hebrews 10.2. And I'm going to read Hebrews 10.1 and 2 to give the context. I'm going to read the first verse. 
says, for the law, since it's only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been kathiro, cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. So the sacrifices for sin in the Old Testament could never make one perfect. They could never make one clean. This is what this passage is saying. It said if it could have made them clean, then they would have only had to have been offered one time and they would have been cleaned forever. But no, they had to continually make these sacrifices because it could never do the full job. It could never make them perfect. It could never wash them. But how many know that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and he was the spotless, perfect, final sacrifice for sin. And in, in the, later on in that same chapter in Matthew, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, it says, But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So that, uh, <laughs> so the only other time that that word is used here, kathairo, it's meant to cleanse. Jesus was the final sacrifice, one sacrifice to make you perfectly clean for all time. If you are in Christ... You are perfectly clean. Now I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but we see this in, <laughs> thank you. But we see this in the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he says to, to Peter, he says, I want to wash your feet. He says, no, Lord, you can never wash my feet. And he's, he's like, well, I, the best translation of this next verse is, is something like this. He says, hey, Peter, if you don't let me wash my feet, you can't flow with me. You, you can't see what I'm doing. You're not going to be flowing with me. And he's like, okay, well, then just wash everything. Wash my hand, wash my heads. And what does Jesus say to him? He said, he that is already bathed is already cleansed, but he just needs his feet washed. So bathed in that sense is salvation. He's like, you're cleansed. You're already cleansed. I'm just gonna, I just need to wash your feet. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. So that word kathairo means cleansed. So it's saying, if we go back to Hebrews, uh, or I'm sorry, John 15, 2, it says, he cares for the branches connected me by raising them up. And every branch in me that's bearing fruit, he, kathairo, he cleans. Now, it's, it's interesting because you can kind of, like if you clean up your yard, that could mean pruning, right? But the, the closest translation is actually to clean. In fact, in, if you have an NASB Bible, it says, it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, um, he prunes, but there's a little note by it. You look down on the footnote and it says, the, root pr the word prunes means literally to clean. That's what it says in the NASB. I was like, well, why didn't you just translate it to clean then? <laughs> So every branch, this is the nature of Jesus. This can really change the way you see Jesus, especially in this passage. Every branch that does not bear fruit, Jesus' desire is to raise it up. 
And every branch that's bearing fruit, Jesus comes and he cleans. Now, I did some research this week about cleaning plants. And there are a ton of videos on YouTube about why you should clean your plants and how to clean your plants. And I took notes, and the Lord was just, it's funny, these people are speaking and they don't realize, but the Holy Spirit's just speaking right through them. So here's the reasons I found about why you clean your plants. When you clean a plant, it allows it to receive more sunlight, which is needed to be healthy and grow. Who's the sun? Jesus. More sunlight. During the winter months, there's less light, and cleaning is even more important. Man, that spoke to me. During the hard seasons, during the winter seasons, man, that washing of the water with the word is even more important. Jesus wants to come and wipe, wipe those plants clean so that you can receive even more light. Number three, when cleaned, the plant looks better and it shines. <laughs> it's more shiny. Four, by cleaning a plant, you actually help the plant to breathe and to photosynthesize better. So cleaning the plant not only allows more sunlight, but it allows it to give more, to photosynthesize, to actually do something good. By cleaning, you remove things like webs and dirt that attract bugs, spiders, and other critters. Hmm. Cleaning a fruit-bearing plant helps it to produce more and better fruit. So a better translation of John 15, according to the Greek, would be this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he raises up. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans so that it can bear even more fruit. Now look at verse 3. Verse 3 makes so much more sense in this context. When you realize that Jesus cleans us so that we can bear more fruit. Here's verse 3. John 15, 3, but you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. That verse is kind of out of left field if you translate it prunes. He's like, every branch in me that's not bearing fruit or that bears fruit, I prune. But you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. When you translate it clean, it actually makes more sense. He's like, every branch in me that's bearing fruit, I'm going to clean. But you are already clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. Imagine being in a room with Jesus. And he looks at you and says, you're clean. Well, I'm, I'm clean. I didn't do anything, Jesus. Yeah, I know. But you're here. I've spoken words over you. And you're clean. He says, because of the words that I've spoken to you. You're clean. Wow, what's their part in that? What's our part? I guess be in the room with Jesus when he's speaking. <laughs> yeah. Because of the words I've spoken to you, you're clean. Now, this is not the cleansing again of salvation. This is a different cleansing. Because like we talked about with Peter, he who's bathed, he who's saved, you're already fully clean. This is represented in baptism that you're washed head to toe, full, full immersion, and then you come up and you're completely clean. You're a new creation. But just like when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he's like, this is a different cleansing. You're, com you're completely clean. 
but I just need to wash your feet. Why do you wash feet in that day? Especially because there were sandals and your feet would get dirty going from place to place. Why do you clean a plant? Because it's connected to the vine. It's not, the, it's not talking about unsaved people. It's connected. It's saved. But you clean it so that it can get more light. You clean it so that it can actually breathe. You clean it so that it gets the critters off. It, it stops, gets the things off of it that tracked bad things. Amen. You're clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he raises up. Every branch that bears fruit, he cleans so that it can bear even more fruit. But you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. By the way, that word clean is katharos, which means clean or pure. And the word before that means too clean, but then this means cleansed. You're cleansed because of the word I've spoken to you. So we need to receive his words spoken over us every day, and it cleans us. What do we need to be cleansed of? One of the things we need to be cleansed of is the cares of this world. It, like, it gets on you like, like dust and dirt, and it can weigh you down. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Now, when he says, take my yoke upon you, it's actually, again, the word Iro. Take up my yoke and put it on you. You're yoked with Jesus. He says, my burden is light. We need to be cleansed of the cares of this world, the anxieties, the burdens. We need to be cleansed of false identities that we've taken on. How many know that you are not what you do? Whatever your occupation is, that's not actually who you are. That's just what you're currently doing. Your truest identity is you are a son of God, loved by Jesus, loved by the Father. You might be currently being a teacher or an insurance agent or many different things. But this is not your identity. Your identity is you're a son. This is your truest identity. And so when we come into that place and we just let him, again, it's, it's not as hard as we make it. He said, you're clean because of the words I've spoken over you. And they're like, oh, we're clean. We, we didn't even realize it. They were just in the room and he was speaking over them. So it's like that daily coming in and like letting him speak to you. He speaks to us through his through. His word, he speaks to us in prayer. He speaks to us through prophetic words. That's why we review prophetic words like this is the word spoken to you. And you review it. It's like he's cleansing you. It's like, oh, yeah, this is who I am. I forgot. <laughs> I got some dust on me. I got my identity got tied up in my work. You know, my truest identity is not even a pastor. It's just something I do. My truest identity is the son. And if I start placing my identity as a pastor higher than my identity as a son, I can get in all kinds of trouble. Your identity is son. And we come into the presence of the Lord and he just cleans us. He just speaks over us.
Let's read on in John chapter 15. Let's start in verse 4. John 15, 4. Are you guys okay this morning? Yeah. <laughs> Verse 4. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Do you know that your job is to bear fruit and not to produce? Let me say that again. Your job is to bear fruit and not to produce fruit. What produces the fruit? The vine. The life, the energy, the resource that produces the fruit on the branch comes from the vine. Jesus said you can do nothing apart from me. A vine laying on the ground, a branch laying on the ground cannot produce anything. It can only bear fruit if it's connected to the vine. Your job is to bear fruit, not to produce it. What is your job again? How do we bear fruit? Abide. And it's, it, sometimes we make that hard. What, what did Jesus say again? You're clean because of the words I've spoken over you. Just be in the same room. Just listen. Just receive. Verse 6. And this is NASB. I don't love how they translated this one verse. I actually like the New King James better, and we'll talk about that in a second. It says, verse 6, If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So verse 6 can kind of seem scary. This whole passage used to be scary to me. Like, man, if I'm not bearing enough fruit, I might get cut off. And you have, you know, well-meaning people like that were really smart people saying, yep, that's what it means. He's going to take you away. He might just take you up to heaven if you're not bearing fruit. Well, at least you get to go to heaven. But verse 6 can be kind of scary. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire. So now you can turn that into a works. Man, if I'm not abiding enough, I might not even make it to heaven. They're cast out, and they're thrown into the fire. Now I want to read that verse in the, in the New King James. And that verse 6 in New King James says, says it like this, and this is a better translation. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire. So contrast this with verse 2. Verse 2 says, if anyone in me does not bear fruit, he raises them up. And if he, if he bears fruit, he cleans them so that they can bear even more fruit. So what's the key there is anyone in me, in Christ. Verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, what does that mean? Not saved. This is, this is talking about people who are not yet in Christ. 
They're not saved, so don't be scared by that verse unless you're not saved. If you're not saved, get saved. And you won't have to be scared of that verse. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So let's go back to verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he raises up. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans so that it may bear even more fruit. I just want to give you a, a word this morning that God wants to raise you up. If you've been in a hard season, God wants to raise you up. If you feel like, man, I, I don't feel like I've been bearing fruit in my life, God's desire is to raise you up. He's actually the vine dresser. God's actually the one. Jesus is the vine. God is the vine dresser. He's actually the one that's doing the raising up. His desire is to raise you up. If you're, if you're in life and you're bearing fruit, his desire is that you be, he comes and he cleans you so that you can receive even more of his life, so that you can photosynthesize, you can actually give life. His desire is to come and to gently speak life over you so that you can bear even more fruit. And I believe he wants to raise your hope level this morning. He wants to wash you with his words today. I believe that God is breaking off hopelessness. And right now, I just come against any foreboding spirit in this place. Just that spirit that says Something's, something bad is going to happen. Just wait. Ha, ha, ha. God is so, so good. Hope is rising up. Things are not going to crash and burn. And you won't capitulate. God doesn't set his people up for them to fail. God hasn't set you up in your life for you to fail. God is setting you up in this season for you to succeed, not to fail. Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the thoughts, some translation says plans. I know the plans that I think and the plans that I have for you or thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts and plans of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for you of peace, of hope. He has a good future plan for you. Psalm 8.5 says this, You've made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. Let's stop there for a second. You have made, just, that's, this is offensive to me. You have made him, talking about man, a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. We saw Stephen Wendy Backlund on Friday, and she said, one time she said to the Lord, like, Lord, I don't want to steal your glory. And the Lord spoke back to her, and he says, don't worry, you'll never come close. <laughs> Anybody who's worried about stealing God's glory doesn't know how glorious God is. And he's actually given us glory. In, in John chapter 17, he says, Father, the glory you've given to me, I'm now giving to them. If you're going to cast a crown before the Lord today, it means he's given you something to cast before him. He's given you a measure of glory. And we actually, when we say give God glory, well, you have to have glory to give glory. You made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. 
Psalm 42, 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Mark Twain said at the end of his life, he said, I had a lot of worries in my life, almost all of them which never happened. How many know the enemy wants you to meditate? He wants you to meditate on the bad things that might happen. God wants you to meditate on what he says. Jesus, again, you've been cleaned by the words that I've spoken over you. That's what our meditation needs to be, the words that he's spoken over us. This is what gives you hope. This is what cleans you off. It gets the dust of this world off of you. And it recalibrates you again, once again, to see things, how God sees them and how God sees you. Romans 5.5, 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Man, if we knew God's plans for us, it would just blow our mind. If we see, saw things the way he sees them, it would blow our mind. If we saw ourselves the way he sees us, it would blow our mind. I had an encounter with God a few months ago we went to a meeting to meet Daniel Kalenda. Daniel Kalenda actually uh, is a great evangelist. He's a fifth-generation pastor. His great-grandfather led my great-grandfather to the Lord 100 years ago in a revival meeting in Michigan. My whole family's from Michigan. I didn't know this until a couple years ago. My dad one day just casually mentioned it. I'm like, how did you not tell me this story? <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, your great-grandfather William Willette, he got saved in a revival meeting in Harbor Beach, Michigan, led by Daniel Kalinda's great-grandfather. That's, that's where the Willettes all turned to Jesus. And now you can see the marking point from that point forward of all the Christians in our family. So I went to meet Daniel, and I got to share that story with him. It was really awesome. I got to share that story with him. And at the end of that meeting, I got hit by the power of God. And I like slammed down on the ground and the, this thought just flooded me. And it was the Lord saying this to me. And he said, Daniel, my vision is so much bigger than your vision. And it just kept, that thought just kept like pouring over me. Daniel, my vision is so much bigger than your vision. My vision is so much bigger than your vision. This is what happens when we get in the presence of the Lord. He starts giving us his vision, and he's washing off the false visions that the enemies tried to put on us. The false identities, the false cares that he's trying to get us to carry. Pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened and lightened so that you'll know the hope that he's called you to, the riches 
of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I want to give you one more scripture, Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He wants to raise you up. He wants to raise your hope levels back up. He wants your hope to be just abundant like never before. He wants to clean you. He wants to give you his vision. He wants to speak life over you. He is so good. I guess that's my point today. God is good. (laughs) Jesus is for you. God is for you. He's rooting for your success. He wants you to succeed. He's not waiting to cut you off. He's trying to bring you and lift you up again. Amen. Are you encouraged today?